Welcome to the Modern Law Library. I'm your host, Lee Rawls, and in this edition, I'm coming to you from the 2018 ABA Mid-Year Meeting in Vancouver, and I have the opportunity to speak with two of the authors of the book, Enhancing Justice, Reducing Bias. I'm here with Judge Bernice Donald and Professor Sarah Redfield. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here with you to talk about this really important topic. Now, Professor Redfield, you are the editor of the whole volume. Could you talk a little bit about how this book came to be? The book was originally started by um, an ABA grant given to three sections of the ABA, criminal justice, litigation, and judicial. And the grant was to indeed put a book forth that could serve as a bench book for judges. And that was the beginning of it, and that was the beginning of what turned out to be a wonderful but long sequence of events to find what we were actually going to write about and who our authors were going to be. And Judge Donald, how did you become involved in this project? Well, I am actually a member of all three of those sections, and I've been a judge for a long time in four different courts. I was very interested in the topic of bias because I think it's um, essential to our system that people believe that they can go into a court, that they can participate in the legal process and receive fair and just outcomes. And there were barriers I recognized to those outcomes. So I was very interested in this project. And the three sections chose me to be the chair of this book project. And it was a wonderful, wonderful project. Professor Sarah Redfield has been enormous and just a giant in the field. So I basically played the role of uh, the orchestra conductor. And it was a really incredible project that we believe will have broad long-lasting outcomes as we tackle some of the critical issues in this area. And I want to just say, uh, as I know Professor Redfield will say later, that this is an initial step. This is really about creating awareness, looking at the pervasiveness of the problem, touching on some things that can be done, but really acquainting people with just how much work there is to do in this field. And one of the things that I appreciated about the book is that this is not just, you know, academics talking to other academics. This is not just judges talking to other judges or lawyers. You really brought together groups from the whole wide range of the legal profession. Was that the you know intention from the beginning? Was it hard to bring together all these groups? Well, th- that is one of the, uh, the reasons that I give Professor Redfield so much credit. She is an academic. But she also takes on the sort of real world and practical uh, needs. And so she helped us understand who were the leading experts who could provide a tool that could be used practically uh, to address the problem and not just those who would come at it from a theoretical perspective. So I think that was the beginning, but I will defer to her wisdom uh, to talk about the reason for assembling this diverse team for a product that had both a theoretical and a practical component. Professor Redfield, could you speak to that? Yes. We started working on the book with a call for papers and asked to have people who might be interested in writing for it respond to that call. 
But we also had in mind from the beginning that diversity was really important to us, not surprising given the subject of the book. But by diversity, we didn't just mean the usual race, age, gender kinds of diversity that we talk about. We wanted there also to be diversity of perspective and background and expertise. So in addition to the judges and lawyers you've already mentioned, we have some great social scientists who were involved in writing for the book as well. And we started the process by having a face-to-face meeting where most of our authors were present. And I guess I would say, and the judge may want to comment on this, it was one of the best meetings I've personally ever been to. There was so much intellectual and practical human capital in the room, all of them interested in making our system more fair. It was a pretty exciting launch for the project. And so that diversity of work and backgrounds just turned out to make a wonderful book. Now, I'm going to turn to you again, Professor Redfield, to ask about the research elements. When I read portions of this book, I, including the chapter that you and Judge Donald worked on together, I was startled to learn that the way we used to measure for bias, the data we used to collect, was based on asking someone, are you biased? (laughs) And now we have different tools. Could you talk a little bit about how we research explicit and implicit bias and how we can measure it today? Yes, you're exactly right. In other eras, I would have been asking you if you were biased, and most likely you would have said, no, you weren't, either because your lawyer told you to say that, or because you believed it, or because you just didn't feel comfortable saying, yes, you were biased. And so we were left with sort of a limited range of understanding how people responded to folks from different groups, different backgrounds, whatever the differences were, until um, Tony Greenwald, who's a professor at the University of Washington, he's called the grandfather of the implicit association test, developed a method for asking you if you were biased that didn't require us to ask you directly. And that test, which is available, if listeners want to go try it, it's available if you just Google Harvard and the letters IAP, was able to measure our biased responses without our having to answer. We were answering with the speed in which we responded to the test, and we began to see what our implicit, quick reflexes, biases were. And as someone who's taken several of these tests, just for my own edification, and with the encouragement of the ABA, the ABA encourages all its staff members to take these just to become more aware. You know, if you go to the Harvard site, there may be a setup where it asks you to place your fingers on, say, the the G key and the, the K key, and it will flash a picture or a word, and you have been directed to hit either, you know, one key for, say, a positive or a negative. And so it really is, you do not have the time to engage your conscious mind to say, this is what I know the correct answer should be. You are being asked to sort of let your lizard brain take (laughs) over. And it was a wonderful experience, I think, just to check in 
with that lizard brain to check in with those implicit biases. And and Lee, that is uh, an excellent point because when we were asking people, are you biased? That was eliciting a conscious response. It was people responding to what they sometimes honestly believed or what the desired response was. But the implicit association test, as you observed, gets at the unconscious response. And I think as a judge dealing with jurors and dealing with lawyers, people have an innate desire to be fair. And I think people who are saying, no, I'm not biased, at the conscious level, they're answering that honestly and sincerely. But sometimes our honest and our stated beliefs vary disparately with our unconscious responses and attitudes. And this has been a very meaningful tool to get at some of that. Now, getting at it is one thing, but we have to develop tools to help people get beyond that so that we uh, have fair and unbiased outcomes. And we are very clear, I think, in the book that this whole exercise is not about labeling people. It's not about shaming and blaming. It's about trying to help all of the stakeholders, all of the stakeholders in the justice system, eradicate any barriers to the fair, impartial, and unbiased processes and outcomes. I heard at the Spirit of Excellence luncheon yesterday uh, the term representational diversity versus substantive diversity. And I think we're trying to get rid of bias so that we can have substantive, unbiased, fair outcomes at every level, trial, pretrial, appellate, whatever. And Judge Donald, you spent the first 10 years of your public education in a segregated school. And Absolutely. you've been a judge for decades. Have you seen meaningful change in your judicial career where judges are trying to become uh, more in tune with their implicit biases? Or do you feel that there's still a lot of work left to do? There is a lot of work left to do. This whole phenomenon of exploring implicit bias is really fairly recent. And that is why judges individually and judges at the institutional level through judicial organizations such as the National Judicial College, the Federal Judicial Center, various state organizations are really uh, making every effort to help people become aware of and understand uh, this phenomenon. I want to just digress for a moment and tell you that more than 50 years ago, an organization called the National Conference of Christians and Jews conducted a, a survey on the public's perception of outcomes in the justice system. At that time, African-Americans believed that they could not and would not get a fair outcome in the courts, be it criminal or civil. Right behind that strong response was the response of Latinos or Hispanics. Asian-Americans believed that they could get a fair outcome, but that was fairly low. It was only Caucasians who uniformly believed that they could get a fair outcome. The RAND Corporation repeated that study about a decade ago. And from a percentage standpoint, the needle had not moved. And that's problematic for us who are judges, 
who are prosecutors, who are defense attorneys, who are probation. It is a problem. And we believe that implicit bias is one of the issues that we have to tackle. We have to give judges, prosecutors, defense attorneys tools to help awareness and uh, we have to give them debiasing techniques. And that leads us to phase two of the project that Professor Redfield, I, and our team hope to work on, debiasing. It's fine to become aware of, but we have to have tools. What do I do with this knowledge now that I have it? And Professor Redfield, would you like to talk a little bit more about that second part, about your future and current upcoming work? The idea of becoming aware of implicit bias is the first step for debiasing. So every time the judge speaks somewhere or you interview us somewhere or we're invited to talk about our work, that's a help. But everyone, once they become aware, then wants to know, well, what else, what else can I do? And we want to work more on that. I would point out that the research on implicit bias is relatively new. And thus, the research on how to debias implicit bias is even newer. That doesn't lead me to think it can't be done. And social scientists are more and more often now reporting success in training people in ways to debias. These two of their work can focus more on that, produce perhaps another book or perhaps a workbook with exercises and techniques that people can adopt when they become aware and want to change for themselves their own mindfulness. And Lee, uh, if I could just add one other point that I want to leave our listeners with, I don't want anyone to come away from this interview believing that this whole notion of implicit bias is the problem of a race, a class, a group. And it is not just race, as our book uh, deals with. It's socioeconomic bias, religious bias, sexual orientation, a whole range of them. But it is not a black and white issue. Every group, any person, all of us have biases. And if you look at the, the test, there are biases for age, disability, weight, height, all of those things. And I want to point to one uh, little um, anecdote. There was a, a judge recently deceased, Bill Missouri, an African-American judge. And he tells a story about getting a letter from a white male who had been sentenced by Judge Missouri. The defendant inmate wrote Judge Missouri a letter from his prison cell saying, Judge, I believe you are biased against me because I'm white. And the judge was troubled by that because all of us judges try to do a good job and we don't want to believe that we are making biased decisions. So the judge went back and audited his sentences. And he tells the story of what I found was, in his words, I was not biased against white defendants. I was biased against my own race, African-Americans. And that feeds into some of the stereotypical biases that are societal that I think all of us have to contend with. And so we want to make certain that people know this is not finger pointing at any particular group, any particular race. It is trying to address that overarching as you say, lizard brain in each one of us that causes us to act sometimes in biased ways. Often I see people acting very defensive when implicit bias or bias is brought up, and it seems that many people feel 
that it could be a personal attack to say you have a bias or you have an implicit bias that we're saying that there's a personal moral failing that you have versus you've grown up in a society in which a lot of attitudes are expressed that can lead to bias. So could you talk a little bit about the role of bias and implicit bias and how we're asking people to approach their own biases? I think a lot of people who do go online and do the Harvard Implicit Association test and read their results after you do the test at the end. They give you a little paragraph about your results, are surprised by them. They perhaps have results that show they're biased against the disabled when they would have said they certainly never would be. So it's their unconscious compared to their conscious responses again. But I think the important Thing everyone should take away from it is that it is just about awareness and all humans are biased. So to be human is to be biased. And once you're aware of that, then what you do about it is probably the more significant question. Judge Bennett, who is one of the authors of the book and a leader in this field of implicit bias, asked in his chapter what parts of the criminal and civil justice systems are affected by implicit bias. And his answer is everything and everybody. And I think if we keep that in mind, it makes a better context than any one of us blaming ourselves or thinking someone else is going to blame us based on this kind of research. So if our listeners were interested in picking up the book, Enhancing Justice, Reducing Bias, or becoming more involved in the work themselves, what would be your recommendations for them? Professor Redfield? The book is available on the American Bar Association website. Right now it's only a, a book. It's not available as an online or ebook resource. So that's the place to get the book. And I, both I and the judge and really all of our fellow authors have, I don't want to say infinite, but a very large number of resources for people who want to pursue this further. So I would like you to just put my email out there and have people reach out to me. And either I can provide specific answer or direct them to some of my colleagues who can provide more specifics. So it's my name, S-A-R-A-H dot Redfield, R-E-D-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. Wonderful. And Judge Donald, at the moment, a lot of this is voluntary in that you need to actively want to confront what biases you may have. Do you foresee a time in the future where perhaps this could be made part of either legal training, judicial training? What do you see in the future as the best way to have everyone in the legal community or, or wider community engage in this kind of self-examination? Lee, I believe that all judges, prosecutors, defense attorneys really want to get as close as we can to a system that produces equal justice for everyone in that system. And for that reason, I see us moving, and it's already happening, uh, into a system where we incorporate this into judicial training. Every new judge, an existing judge, will have some phase of, of that training. But I don't think it's gonna happen as a standalone course labeled implicit bias. Because 
if it's that way, people will say, I don't need that because I'm not biased. But I think what we're going to have to move to is a system that incorporates procedural fairness into all of our training and where we infuse these implicit bias trainings into the substantive and procedural law. So when we're taking a course on evidence, embedded in that will be the threads of implicit bias training. If we're talking about a course on sentencing, on bail, on summary judgment, how to handle summary judgment motions, all of that is going to have to embed those principles if we're really going to address this. And so that's how I see it happening. But I do believe we will never cease in our quest to provide equal justice under law for every person entering into the courts of the United States of America. Well, I would like to thank both of our guests, Judge Bernice Donald and Professor Sarah Redfield, for joining us today in this episode of the Modern Law Library. And I'd like to thank our listeners as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast listening service. And we will see you next time.